Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and I hope you had a wonderful weekend. I am always looking forward to being with you when Monday rolls around, and it's four o'clock central time, and I hope you can spend much of the next two hours with me. I'm looking forward to having Patrick on, because that's the way I like to get my Monday started, finding out what happened over the weekend and what might be a little bit on the lighter side, because isn't the world a little nuts, crazy, and doesn't it feel stressful at times, and we just need to not take ourselves too seriously, take the Word of God seriously, and take our service to the kingdom seriously, but have a little fun with ourselves and do it often. That's been one of my mottos for a long time. Anyway, Patrick is a friend and colleague from the great state of Iowa and the prestigious town of West Des Moines. Patrick, welcome. Hello. How are you? I'm good. I want to start with an idea about the word contentment, because I'm going to be talking about it again later this week. But it's, okay. the definition says it's the state of being mentally or emotionally satisfied with things as they are. Now, it is interesting that we should have contentment in our life, but we always want to be improving. We always want to be looking for ways to grow and become a more evolved and better person, you know. So uh, the, the Bible just has a lot to say about contentment and being satisfied with, you know, what we have and who we are and where we're going, because Jesus says, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. So that's a wonderful promise. But contentment is something that I don't see much of in the world today. Well, I sometimes think of Proverbs 16.9. In fact, I think about it all the time. Uh, In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their their steps. And the reason why I think that uh, about that all the time is because that's the guy I get stuck behind in the pickup lane at school. Who has that on his license plate? <laughs> it's, but I, uh, so I think how appropriate it is uh, that I, you know, I said, well, you know, how nice that I'm about to pick up some children and then I'm going to do uh, Bill's radio show, Proverbs 16, 9. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we, we make all our plans, but, uh, but Jesus sets the steps. Yeah, he and, does. And, and, yeah, we got to be a little more content where we are because we don't know where we, we sometimes we don't know. As a friend of mine was fond of saying, you know, you can ask God for things, but uh, don't tell him how to how to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think of Paul and he suffered and went without the comforts of life more than most people could ever imagine. And yet he yes. would come out and say, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. And he talked about the secret of contentment. And I thought. That is such a great, great uh, scripture to reflect on. That's Second Corinthians 11. Because I look out over the world and I see people so displaced right now, especially in uh, Ukraine, and I think of how little they have, and yet their spirit mm-hmm. is r- largely strong, and they're trying to fight the good fight. And you and I, you know, have a hot meal to eat tonight and a roof over our heads and clothes to wear, and and we should be incredibly grateful. Well, I think I think we remind ourselves to be that way, and and we do have our problems, and they're nothing compared to what most people go through at at times. 
you know, I, you and I, and I don't know if people know this, we tend to kid each other a lot about, um, you know, like, like health related things. You know, we both like to say work out. And so occasionally I'll say, oh, I, I might have forgotten to tell you about this workout I've been doing for the last <laughs> six months that's really working well. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm light years ahead of you, but uh, let me see if I can dig it up and send it to you. Uh, you know, and, and we, we kid as if that's our, our problem that, you know, somebody's having better results from a, a, a that we can live a, a healthy lifestyle. Mm-hmm. By the way, I'm, I still suspect that you're every now and then sending chocolate chip cookie recipes to my daughter because they're <laughs> constantly being baked. <laughs> every time I come home, there's a yeah. cake. That's from me. Cookies. That is from you. Okay. Oh, yeah. 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 You're hard at work undermining I'm my I'm hard at work undermining. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But it is fun. It is fun to to not take yourself too seriously and and to have that joy. And I think that's what I think men do uh, really well is they 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 kid each other. I think that's oftentimes how we how we uh, show each other that we love each other is we kind of give each other yeah. a hard time. I think that's a, a true measure of um, how deep a friendship is is how much grief you can give each other. <laughs> uh, and you can sometimes, you know, kid around and joke around about, you know, what might be, I don't want to call it a morbid topic, but I know you and I will sometimes say, uh, yeah, if we have an interesting exchange about something, we'll say to each other, okay, yeah, make sure that's in my eulogy <laughs> <laughs> when you deliver it. Yeah. Because that's really good, <laughs> you know. Um, but uh, it, it maybe that's a little bit dark, but it's it's also our way of dealing with, you know, the finality of life, of course. Yeah. And get... it's something friends can do to each other. Yeah. And I think some of that's our history, too. I mean, I, you and I both come from a, a, a history of untimely, uh, I'm not going to use the word untimely because that's a bad word, but death. And yeah. and um, so, yeah, it's um, something yeah. that you, you do have a tendency of of keeping a, a some t- somewhat of a light approach about. As yeah. serious Otherwise as it you is. Otherwise you would go through, as serious as it yeah. is. Otherwise you could, you could certainly go through with a doom and gloom a- attitude, which we don't need. Right. So no. people are always, I, th- I think, seeking after more things of this world. And it's hard to be content when you are. You know that old bumper sticker that says, he who, uh, he with the most toys wins or something like that. He who dies with the most toys wins. Yeah. Yes. It's so ridiculous. I mean, he who dies with the most toys forces family to have the biggest estate sale. Yes. I, I had a, a friend who had one of those, and I said, when you're gone, can I have that bumper sticker? <laughs> <laughs> you're not, you know, you may win, but I'm getting the bumper sticker. Yeah. But just <laughs> I took to, the bumper, too, in fact. I but, took the whole bumper. Yeah. Just to be content with where we're at today, you know, I, I just think it's, as believers, we should be putting our trust and confidence in God and knowing that He provides and gives all things to us. And that even when we're going through a difficult time or a, a challenging time in life, He provides that to us as well as a way to make our faith um, stronger. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, you know how people like to sometimes, if they're going through a tough time, they, they, they think that God is testing them. And you say, well, everybody goes through tough times. Everybody goes through tough times. I, I, he didn't pick you out specifically to say, I, I, I want to make, you know, I'm, I'm mad at you today. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's, we're promised that, you know, uh, there, you know, good times and bad times fall on people. And, uh, but that, that's why I'm here. I am your rock. Right. 
Yeah. What a great, what a great message. And the more, that, uh, and yeah. the more we get to know God, the more we realize and understand how faithful he is to supply our needs as he's done in the past and he will do in the future. And that only grows our confidence and our trust in him. And that's where I want to live is trusting in him despite any circumstances, whether they're good or bad. Uh, you know how I always say that, you know, God has a flair for the dramatic, you know, uh, that uh, at times you, you maybe you're having a bit of a nail biter time in your life where you, you're, you're worried. Am I going to make it? Is everything going to be okay? And, uh, it, you know, it, things happen. I, I mean, I even have a, a good friend who's, you know, he's not agnostic. He's, he's definitely an atheist. But uh, he will always say, I don't understand it. Uh, 65 years of my life, every time when I didn't know how I was going to get out of a situation, when I didn't know what the answer was, something came along. So, you know, I sometimes look at that and say, you believe in something. Because that'd be an amazing coincidence. (laughs) Did you ever ever think that just maybe God has you? You know, I don't want to think about that. Well, yeah. okay. <laughs> well, but the fact is you planted that seed, and you, you're always going to have an opportunity to go back and, because you'll hear that from him again. And he'll say, just yes. when I thought there was no answer or something came around, and you now can take that and replant it again and say, well, maybe we can talk about it now. Yeah, there's that guy again, <laughs> you know. That there's, situation. There's yeah. that situation, that that thing, the, the magic happened again. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not magic. Mm-hmm. And whenever we worry, of course, we're choosing to not trust God. And God says, trust me and not worry. Mm-hmm. And so I think if we uh, humble ourselves before God's mighty hand, he will lift us up in due time. And that's out of First Peter. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Yes. And by the way, when you said due time, you meant D-U-E. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Yes. Not actually, yeah, like somebody doing time. Okay. No, okay. no, no, yeah. yeah. For, a, for a split second, I thought, I'm, that does, I don't remember that passage, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> that do, do, to in due time. Yeah. Yes, yes. And what I'm happy about I, is we've already gone, you know, 10 minutes without talking about this slap in the face last night at the Oscars. So that makes me very happy. We're not talking about that or bringing that up. But did you just not bring it up? No, I didn't bring it See, up. And I'm not going to bring it up. So we're okay. going to go I to still break. think it might have been staged. I think it might be something they slapped together at the last minute. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm it's a come good back. thing that it was, by the way, it's a good thing it was Chris Rock and not The Rock. Entirely different outcome. It could have been worse. Yeah. All right. We'll take a break. Yeah. We'll come back. Lots more with Patrick Albanese, my friend and colleague from the great state of Iowa. We'll be right back. you do with a brain if you had one? Do? Why, if I had a brain, I could... I could while away the hours, conferring with the flowers, consulting with the rain. And my head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. That theme song is for Patrick Albanese, my friend uh, from Des Moines. Patrick, uh, I don't know if I want to talk about what happened last night at the Oscars. I do want to talk a little bit about the Academy uh, said that they that, that it does not, they made a statement, the Academy does not condone violence. Excuse me? <laughs> have you, <laughs> what? Have you, 
What? Just let me go over some of the award winners over the years. Yeah. (laughs) Shall we? Pulp Fiction? I mean, it goes on and on and on. There's nothing but There will be, I think there will be blood, I think was the name. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. We don't, just in the movies. Yeah. But, you you know, there, so there was a period of time, I think it maybe happened about 20 years ago when when Hollywood became very Mm anti-smoking. Mm-hmm. And they started, I, I think, even sometimes on the the cover art for uh, the poster, the movie poster. They would sometimes erase if somebody had a cigarette, or they just don't have very much smoking in the movies. And they say that well, we think that when kids watch these movies and they see somebody smoking, that might influence them to pick up smoking. Hmm. So you say, you know, you might be right about that. What do you think about the violence and the gratuitous? nudity and uh, hookup culture. Oh, no, no, no. They're kids. They know it's just a movie. Okay. <laughs> I don't expect consistency out of Hollywood ever. No. I, I, I just don't. No. Hollywood almost never respects or reflects my values, so my only option is to completely ignore it. I think I think the last movie I saw was Green Book a couple of years ago, and that's uh, because my uh, friend of mine was involved with that. I think the last one I saw was Jungle Book. That might, I, might, I might go back a little further than you. <laughs> well, at least we both, both like both books. Had, yeah, we both like books. We're, we're big big fans of any any movie with book in the title. Although I didn't see that Notebook movie. I think that's uh, the. Uh, I think my wife might have seen the Notebook movie, and she said you would not like this. Mm-hmm. I've missed one of the book movies. Yeah, that's but right. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and you're the the person that you know. He puts out nice movies. Well, that Doesn't was a nice movie. Yeah, he's put out a number of nice movies. No. He he won the Academy Award uh, for that movie. So I have a very without fun... having to hit anybody. Without yeah, right. He didn't have to. Yeah, yeah. But huh. it's yeah, it's it's a it's a very sad place. And to me, it's you know they've got it's just getting worse and worse. And it's it's I hope uh, the movie industry makes it because they're not putting out enjoyable films that families want to go see. Very often. No. And I think people started, you know, they stopped watching these award shows, especially that one, because while Donald Trump was president, you would say, well, I thought this was about movies and everything's become political. And I, you know, I, I know there might be a handful of people in the world that say, I'm not going to make a decision on this until I hear Sean Penn weigh in, you know, (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. but most of us on, on issues, we don't need a celebrity telling us you know, what to think about something. So I appreciate that they have causes that they try to raise money for. I think that that's wonderful use of their celebrity status. But when they, when they started making everything political and that everybody must think the same way or act the same way or believe the same things. And, uh, I said, well, you're taking the entertainment out of it. You know, I mean, as you know, Johnny Carson had that infamous interview and he just refused to get political. Mm Mm-hmm. And he said, "Why would I want to do that? I'm an entertainer. Mm-hmm. That's what I do. I, enter- I don't. I don't. I don't. You know, preach to people and 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 upset anybody. I try to entertain as many people as I possibly can. That's my job." Yeah. And didn't people like it's Michael nice. Jordan come out and say, "Well, Republicans buy tennis shoes too"? Yeah, which I think means he's a Democrat, right? Well, I mean, <laughs> you know? regardless, he I, wants he wants to sell as exactly. many pairs of tennis shoes as possible. Yeah, and and I think his response was, you know, somebody wanted him to denounce something that maybe a Republican said oh, sure. or did, and and he he's I'm a basketball player, I sell tennis shoes now. Um, I I, th- I think it was a, a smart move, you know. It, it's it's hard not to weigh in on stuff. Everybody wants to have an opinion, and social media uh, has certainly has amplified it because mm-hmm. you can sort of do that hit and run. Let me put something up and. 
you know, and say, anybody who disagrees can unfriend me. Hmm. Okay. Well, this worked out well. <laughs> and isn't no. the Academy doing new quotas for movies in order for them to become eligible to even be uh, nominated? They have to have a certain percentage of um, African-Americans or Hispanics or LGBTQ. Yes. And so if it doesn't meet a certain criteria, your film is not eligible uh, to be up for a nomination. So here's the, 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 the irony or the, 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 the unusual part of that. Uh, a lot of the Hollywood money now is they're just they're huge in China. They they love American films, and uh, there was a guy had a website, and I wish I could remember the name of it. But you could see the different movie posters that he put out for the Chinese market, and versus the American market. And the African American actors, they would either be removed from the poster or put to a less uh, prominent role, because the Chinese are. Uh, a little bit uh, less welcoming of people that don't look a certain way. Mm -hmm. And you think, okay, you're always preaching to America and you have your quotas here, but then some of your movies won't even actually be able to be played in China unless it meets what they want and they have to be pro-Chinese. So maybe it's a money thing. You know, maybe they're just corrupted by the money. There's so much money coming. It's we'll do whatever you want. You're the customer. Mm-hmm. But they do like to preach, don't they? Oh, they do. They they always feel like they have a platform to to say what they want, and they're quite good at it. They are quite good at mm -hmm. it, and I think it's got to be kind of tough going through life. I, I think you've heard my philosophy on this that you know we often think that if somebody's successful, they must be smart. Um, that you couldn't be successful if you're not a smart person. So here you have successful people, and I think they say, well, if successful people are smart. I'm successful, therefore I must be smart. Therefore, my opinion on everything must be heard mm -hmm. because I'm a smart person, right? You couldn't accumulate this much wealth and fame and fortune unless you were smart. And you can only be smart about so many things in life. I mean, don't we often say, well, what do you, what is, what name an area of life that you, you know every last thing about? Nothing. And I don't think there's a person that can answer that and say, I, I have none. Yeah. I mean, the older yeah. I get, the more questions I have, the less I feel like I know. And yet yes. the more confident I feel. So there you go. Go figure that out. I think it's because you're confident that you don't have to know everything, that you can't possibly know everything, but you know where to go. And I'm very confident in who I belong to, who calls me by name, who loves me, hmm. and where I'm going to be in eternity. So basically that is the most important thing in my world. And that's who you go to for answers. Totally. Certainly not you. Well, no, no, no. But not that I, can't I don't tell you like that. you, but I, I don't no, no. go to you for answers. Unless you wanted to know that currently, as of today, Saturn is 982 million miles away from Earth. Yeah, you were up this morning looking at uh, planets, weren't you? Yeah, and my son and I were doing a kind of a dueling telescope. So we, we brought two telescopes out. And uh, I don't know how he managed to get so much skill so quickly. But I'm over on one of them, you know, and I'm looking at this giant thing in the sky called the moon. I'm like, hang on, let me just calibrate this, see if I can get it in the eyepiece. <laughs> and he says, he goes, that's great, Dad. Uh, and if you want, come on over and look in this telescope, and I will show you Venus, because I'm on Venus right now. And a couple minutes later, I'm like, okay, it's looking pretty good. And he says, great, uh, let's switch. I'll go look at the moon, and you come over here and look at Mars. <laughs> and then, you know... A couple minutes later, he says, can I borrow your camera on your phone to take a picture of Saturn? And he took a picture of Saturn 
I think you're 11 years old. Uh, you know, he broke his wrist a couple of weeks ago. Can't play the piano, can't play the trombone. So I had an old telescope and all of a sudden, you know, he's, he's Carl Sagan. <laughs> Just a couple of short weeks. And I, it was amazing because I looked at the telescope. I thought my whole life I've, you know, I've seen pictures of Saturn, but I've never looked at Saturn through a telescope. It was amazing. And to how, see. how far away is it? It's, 982 million miles. It's Come a little on. bit closer. Come on. That is this you made that up. Yeah. No. 982 no. million miles. Give or take some change. There's okay. some change in there. Yeah, I figure there's some some change. Yeah. 982 million miles. And there we are looking at it, and you think, this is the majesty of God's creation. I'm looking at this planet nearly a billion miles away through a piece of glass. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the safety of planet Earth, mm, although wow. we were in the middle of an intersection, that wasn't so safe. <laughs> but, but it was the clearest view. <laughs> yeah, that's a great. Uh, yeah, that's a great moment with your son. Well, and you know, Janet and I, my, my wife and I, we keep thinking, boy, you know, they're getting older, and the time comes where they don't want to spend much time with mom and dad. So we keep trying to find anything, and then we push everything to the to the back burner. Whatever you have to do, if. You know, if my daughter wants to bake, she likes to bake. Thanks to you, she likes to bake cakes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, my son's now into looking at the stars. Then I drop everything and I wake him up at uh, 5.30 in the morning and we go outside in 23 degree weather and we look at stars or we look at planets when we can see them because I, I think this is a short time. Yeah. It's it's all I get. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, anything that gets them out of their room and off their screens too. Right. Not to mention, what a great time to talk about the awesomeness of God. I mean, I heard a statistic recently about the number of Earths that could fit into the sun if you emptied it out. Do you know how many Earths could fit into the sun, fit inside the sun? Uh, let's see. I think I know you can fit like 18 Earths. I think you can fit 18 Earths into Saturn. And Saturn is a speck compared to the sun. It's it's. I would think it's got to be... Millions? Yeah, 1.3 million Earths could fit into the sun. Yes, and it's summer all year long on all of them. (laughs) (laughs) It is. It is. That is, it's massive. Yeah, it really is. And we're we're just the right distance away for it to nourish us. I know. And not kill us. I know. That's, it's, yeah, if you want to, it's it's not just mind-blowing, it's, it's such... Do you need much more proof? I don't. See, look at them. Look at this. The odds, the odds of us existing, you cannot calculate. No. Unless there was somebody behind it all. And there is. His name yeah. is Jesus. All right. Patrick, thanks. Yeah. Have a great rest of the day, and uh, I'll talk to you next week. Sounds great. Talk right. to you then. You bet. Patrick Albanese has been my guest and friend to get things started on a Monday. I hope you enjoyed our lighter moment. Coming up next is the Monday afternoon mix. Looking forward to that. And then hour two. Uh, John Marriott is joining me with his new book called Before You Go, Uncovering Hidden Factors in Faith Lost. That's all ahead.
is time for the Monday afternoon mix. We call it the Monday afternoon mix because we mix. Mix, mix, mix. We David mix Miles. Here we are. Pastor we, David Miles, ooh. Rosie B. Ooh. Ooh, that did come out right. Did that what, go- what'd you say? Here we are. And it sounded really scary and gravelly, <laughs> and it did not sound cool whatsoever. <laughs> you can't compete with this set of pipes over here. Why, no, why would no. you compete? No, why would you? Why that. would you? No. Seriously. David, you always bring fun guests to the show. You're, you're so good at that, and today's no exception. Well... God has blessed me. You can pray for the people who know me, you know, so that, that may be a different story. But I I am so delighted um, to have our guest that's going to be with us, Miriam Neff from the great state of Illinois in the city of Chicago. And um, super blessing, um, founder of the ministry Widow Connection, um, but a dear friend as well. So when Tammy and I were in seminary, uh, we got pregnant with DJ and we were looking for a place to stay, and one of the gals there um, at the university said, I have the perfect couple for you. And we met Bob and Miriam, and just their wonderful family, and they folded us in and lived with them for two years. And uh, Bob served as Moody Broadcasting uh, Radio's um, uh, executive director, first executive director uh, until his home going. And so, Miriam, I am so delighted uh, to have you on and to for our church and our listening family just to be um, warmly welcomed and introduced to you. Well, it's a blessing. And I remember you and Tammy and when DJ was this little newborn, and now I understand he's in college. Now, I'm still young. I don't know what's happened to you. <laughs> uh, I now have grandsons, uh, probably the age that you were when you were here. So God has been good to me. And I thank you for mentioning Bob. He has been in heaven now for 15 years. But uh, God has given me something that is such a blessing to do. I have incredible purpose. I'm Busier than one would ever imagine in retirement, which is not retirement, although I was a counselor in public high schools, a profession I loved. But now I serve widows in other countries and here in a lot of different ways. I have a blessed life. Mm. Mm. Marion, this is Bill. And, you know, anyone who's gone through the death of a spouse will instantly tell you how fast life changes. And it, the changes often... Um, very, very uh, painful and oftentimes permanent. So when you come alongside and, and help navigate these waters of, of widowhood, I know you're doing a great service and blessing uh, with your ministry. So thank you for doing that. Well, I love it. And I have been to Minneapolis and I've met some very wonderful people there that serve widows. And um, so, so I think the church is waking up and people are waking up to the biblical thing. 103 verses talk about taking care of us. So it's kind of important to God. Now, had I paid attention to those before? No, I had not. But we are listed in, in Scripture often with others who are uh, don't have a defender or they don't have many means or likely to have less than they did before, widows, orphans, prisoners, aliens. Um, and it shows the heart of people how they treat those who can't help them back. So it, it's a real, um, it shines a real light on the heart of a person, on the heart of a church, on the heart of, well, I know there in your radio station, you, you know, you uplift people bringing them to the Word of God. That reveals the heart, and that's what matters. 
Yeah, you know, Miriam, what's so neat, we, we've been here on the Monday afternoon mix. We love opening up God's Word. And since last year, since that little boy who you turned your sauna into for a crib was leading our um, Boundary Waters trip devotional on Sermon on the Mount, we've been in that. And so we're on the section of fasting. And as we were looking at the the verses that Jesus is talking about fasting, came to mind of G, of God's words in Isaiah talking about what worship is, and he's he's like you know, uh, is this not the fast I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every bond? Now, what's fascinating is that in chapter one of Isaiah, speaking again to worship, you know, many of us know this beautiful verse where God says, "Come now, let us reason together," says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be become like wool. But what's interesting is the verses before that. And he says, you know, um, wash yourself. When you, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood, he's saying. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. And then he says, come now, let us reason together. That, that's the context of that beautiful call to repentance. And, you know, Miriam, this, these last couple of years, we've seen a number of people become widows and widowers and to experience grief. My, my own chiropractor this morning, I was, I was getting an adjustment, and he shared with me that his mom passed away a year ago, and she went in to have a stent put in her leg and passed away from complications at 63. So this is very real. And and people in our listening family, they're, they're feeling this just immensely and intensely as we talk about it. Well, and one of the interesting things, the average age uh, of widowhood in the United States is 57 years old. And some people wow. think, now I'm vintage and I'm not living in Florida or Arizona, but I, some people have this image of a widow and it's inaccurate. Uh, so, in other words, for everyone who maybe is an older, uh, and in 10 marriages, in eight of those marriages, the man will leave the planet before the woman. So that's there are many more times the number of widows left behind as widowers. And we can come back to what the Bible has to say about widowers as well. But But that just shows that for everyone that is a vintage person, I was 60 when Bob went to heaven. So I was a little bit older than that average, but then there's someone else that's younger. And the dangerous professions like tree trimming and police and firefighters or people, uh, some, of, some of the young widows that I've been in contact with, their husbands were healthy and they were on treadmills. So um, it's very real. And I'm so glad, Pastor Dave, that you're highlighting this to your church family, because sometimes when one spouse dies, you kind of forget that the other one is there. You know, they don't quite fit in the this, this small group of couples anymore, and that's not a good thing to forget them. Well, Mary, I remember you saying to us that, you know, this this incredible stat that in the first year that widows will leave, lose about 75% of their friends. And remember finding fact. that, yeah, remember finding that fascinating in your words because you and Bob— as Bob headed MBI, 
you know, you guys pretty much knew so many different people and were connected to so many people. And I remember you saying to me and Tammy, I thought, no, not me. And you were like, no, it actually happened to me. So would you share with us? Because losing a spouse is grief. And, you know, your first chapter of your book, From One Widow to Another, the first chapter opens, Our Strongest Emotion, Grief and Its Silent Partner, Depression. So what was that for you in losing losing Bob? Well, imagine this, and and some of your listeners don't need to imagine it. They've experienced it. But you are maybe in a couples group, and now um, they've invited you to come back, but you kind of don't feel uncomfortable about that. And then finally they stopped inviting you, and or maybe you did go back and you feel like a fifth wheel. Or for it's really hard for pastors' wives and uh, women whose husbands were elders, where a lot of their social life and a lot of their identity was wrapped up in what their husband did. But part of what happened with me was many of the people we really had good times with, maybe they had golfed with Bob or played uh, racquetball, or they they were in the same boat of working at Moody or whatever. Well, Bob's not in that boat anymore. So, uh, and what I have found, though, and this is something I want to encourage uh, your people listening. I have a few friends now, and they are so golden. They get it. They that those first few years, if they didn't say call me if you need something they would stop by and say, oh, let's just go on a walk. Or they'd say, you know, Miriam, you don't look, they loved me enough to say you don't look good. What are you eating or not eating? <laughs> I mean, just just being real like that, we, we need that. But imagine, you know, when marriage is when two become one, so it feels like you're ripped in half. Mm. And that's not, I mean, you're still a whole person, but you go, I went in the grocery store, I took a pot pie out of the freezer, put it in my cart, put it back in the freezer. Bob's not here. I don't mm. like pot pie. He eats pot pie. And this is just all day, every day. So that first year is a tough one. And uh, half of the women leave the church they were in with their husband because they don't fit in anymore. And mm. another... Um, about 60% of them actually would meet the criteria for depression to be uh, to get medication. You know, their eating habits have changed, they're sleeping, they feel things are gray. And the next year, half of them are still in that place. Now, for me, I dug really deeply into the Word of God. That was my big, big, big go-to for relief and comfort. But um, I'm glad you're bringing this up. Hopefully some of the listeners now are getting a few ideas of thinking, oh, I need to reach out to so-and-so or, you know, whatever is on their mind that they might do. Mm. You know, Miriam, what I hear you saying, and which sometimes is the hardest for um, people loving somebody who's lost somebody, is just simply showing up, right? Is there different levels of what type of showing up is appropriate at the stages of grief? Is it appropriate when someone first loses their spouse to say, I'm sorry, do you want to talk about them? Or what are some things um, that we can uh, do in the stages? Are there stages that sometimes I know when my husband was uh, going through a very uh, difficult 
um, diagnosis, there were some things people said that were just very painful. So do you have words um, for perhaps the first three months, the second, you know, three months and so on? Well, my profession, my I have degrees in counseling and we learned these stages of grief. And what we know now is that was a that was a theory at the time, but it doesn't it's not really accurate. And part of it is someone who's had a very good, long, uh, positive marriage, their grief is likely to be deeper. There are some widows who, frankly, their their marriage was hard and they're not grieving like that. So don't make any expectation of time. Some mm-hmm. people uh, walk the road that's sad longer than others. The seven-month night of my at the anniversary of Bob's death, I was in Ouagadougou, Africa, trying to figure things out. So people might have thought, well, she sure landed on her feet quickly. Well, I hadn't landed on my feet, but I sure did want to find out what God wanted me to do. But um, in that book, From One Widow to Another, there's seven tips to serve widows. And that's also on my website, widowconnection.com. That's all one word. And I'll give a couple Uh, You said stay connected. That's very definitely what you want to do. And you can certainly say, I'm sorry for your loss, but don't say I understand. Mm, That's great advice. No one has exact. I remember when someone who is a young married guy and he was working with me through some things I had to resolve uh, business matters. And he said, oh, I understand just what you've gone through. And I thought, really? You're going to go home and you can hug your wife. And I'm sorry, that doesn't sound like a very spiritual lady to think like that. But it's like, um, don't say you understand. And then I do suggest that you call and say specifically, can I do this with you? Mm-hmm. And it may be to go on a walk. It may be to go out for coffee, maybe to say, can I sit in church with you? Because that's an awkward awkward place to be. We were used to be in the front row and then we were halfway back and then we're kind of out the door. So that's one thing. Uh, Invite us to anything and maybe going to a park or a botanical garden or I know Minneapolis has all kinds of cool stuff, you know, an activity so that you're not necessarily just sitting talking, although that's fine. But she's ready to broaden her horizon outside of her grief, mm. even early on to do some things like that. So that that's a few things. Well, but I'd just say one other thing, and there, there are some others, but walk the walk. Don't say, oh, I'll call you and invite you over for dinner and then not do it. Mm. We've already, we already are suffering a loss. So just do, just offer to do what you can do and then follow through on it. Those are great words. Those are great. Yeah. We'll take a little break. Uh, we're listening to the Monday Afternoon Mix with Pastor David Miles and Rosie Beeb. Our special guest is Miriam Neff. Her website is widowconnection.com. That's all one word, widowconnection.com. Be right back.
Monday Afternoon Mix is back, and we've made a new friend. Miriam Neff is our friend. She's written a book called From One Widow to Another, Conversations on the New You. She's also a founder of WidowConnection.com, and you're giving us wonderful uh, counsel, Miriam. Thank you so much for what you've shared so far. Well, you know, it's one thing when you give counsel and you're a counselor and you're just saying, I learned this and you ought to know it. It's another thing when you've walked through it. And I find like when I'm in Africa and doing the things that I'm doing with widows in other villages, I can say, I don't understand your culture, but like you, I have buried my husband. Mm -hmm. And then their eyes change and they're ready to hear that biblical story, you know, the, the different widows in scripture. But, um, David has, Pastor David has given me permission, I think, to say that I'll be back with you next Monday, and I'll be talking about one of the issues, and that's money. And my daughter and I have written a book, Wise Women Managing Money. Uh, She's a lawyer and a CFP, and and they would remember her well. And it's for all women, but uh, I am especially excited to be able to, to get it in the hands of widows who are learning to handle their finances. Mm-hmm. So, Miriam, I'd love to hear uh, more about and maybe some counsel for people who are, are moving uh, through grief. And I know there's some things that you could probably recommend and counsel right away. Um, one of our dear, beloved colleagues here at the station just lost his wife last, uh, last week. And I think he is um, now in that new phase as a widower. But I'm just wondering, maybe as you move through grief, what are some some encouraging things you can say? And I know being around positive people is important. Well, uh, and one of the things that is in men and women, widowers and widows, experience grief. And one of the things that's helpful to both of them, pay attention to yourself. Because it's easy to say it doesn't matter what I eat. And I had a widower friend who was ordering a pizza for dinner at night, eating half of it for dinner and half the other half for breakfast the next morning. Well, that <laughs> didn't go well. And these, some of these are mundane things, but to take care of yourself makes you feel a little better. Being around positive people, not hibernating. It's easy to hibernate. I get that. But that's not going to be healthy for you. And the the whole matter of giving yourself grace and mercy. Okay, today I'm not all happy, and I should be because I'm a believer. Wait, I'm grieving. Give yourself grace and mercy. God has grace and mercy for you. Give it to yourself. Uh, things will be better. The first year typically is really kind of a numb time, and the second year sometimes feels harder because numb goes away, and you realize she's not coming home, or his plane isn't going to land and he'll come up the driveway. So I offer that as a little bit of a warning. In the second year, if you're thinking, wow, this hurts, yes, numb has worn off, and that's okay. God's love is there for you, and his grace and mercy is there for you. Can't hear you. I'm so glad you brought that up, Miriam. We were talking about time being difficult to put grief in little boxes. And the people that um, I have walked with with grief have often surprised by the length of time they grieve or the spotchy way they grieve, where they might be fine for a couple years and then all of a sudden the memories are real and raw and at the surface. Do you find that to be true across? 
men and women? Absolutely. Uh, it isn't uncommon for a widower, and I was at NRB in, in uh, Nashville lately, and there's a widower there who's a very prominent uh, pastor and radio person, and I knew his wife, and he knew my Bob, and we were talking in the hallway there, and we both shared the same thing. His loss is much more recent than mine, but there are times at NRB we almost think our spouse is there. And it's mm. we're not crazy. We're we're not we're not crazy. It's just the grief thing that pops up. The first anniversary um that I was not sad on our wedding anniversary was ten years later. And by that time I had done many projects and ever done a lot of things, had a lot of fun, water ski to get all that kind of stuff. But these things pop up. My mother in law, when my father in law died, had cleared out his closet in two weeks. For me, oh, over several years, I got rid of some more things. We don't compare with each other. We're we're on, you know, our marriages are different. Our personalities are different. So you don't compare. You make room for each person to be a little bit different because God created us uniquely. Mm-hmm. So our grief will be unique. Well, Miriam, I found some things interesting that you had even noted in in your book. A big one is that no comparison. I mean, like grief is truly unique. Um, You know, grief is a messy emotion, you wrote. Be kind to yourself. Sleep in if you need to. Give yourself permission to forget the task at hand. Write in a journal. You know, that's very, very powerful. And to process things, surround yourself with positive people um, be worried about people who want to direct your life. Do you want to speak to, um, I believe there's a book one time, where, When Caring Hurts. Do you want to speak a little bit to how, in a desire to care for people, the need to make make sure that people still remain retain their choice? Well, I call it getting your board of directors. And I say, imagine a big, beautiful mahogany table, and you're the president of the board. You sit at the head of the table. You have six people that sit at the table that give you input, and one's a godly person, one's someone that understands finances, and a practical person, a relative. But here's the thing. You invite them to pull their chair up to the table. They don't pull their chair up to the table. Uh, if you have a adult child who wants to run your finances, oops, no, God has entrusted those to you. Uh, and that may be a person that can give you input, but like what you said, that was so insightful, they must remain the one making the choice because we answer to God. Yeah, and and that's the, the areas of finances is a big area that causes conflict in, fa- in family. You know, one interesting thing on what to say, sometimes people are afraid, like, if I bring this up, I'm going to cause this person to remember it. Well, they haven't forgotten them. Well, what if I make them cry? Well, tears are part of the healing journey. Miriam, we're going to actually maybe laugh at this. Um, but one evening, a long time ago, um, back in 2007, when we went to hear your friend, Babby Mason, sing for uh, an event, you had a friend, Mary, who was a widow there. And I still have the letter that she wrote to me because I asked her some thoughts on what could pastors and churches do to help widows. And one of the things that happened in our conversation was I asked her about her, her husband, Brant, and I just said, hey, tell me a little bit about him. And then she began to speak, and I said, what color was his eyes? 
well, what kind of hair did he have? Was it thick? Was it sandy? You know, was it was it thin? Was it gruff? And just let her talk. And I remember her, and I'm holding this letter that she wrote to me. And you've mentioned a couple of different things that she had wrote about, you know, give invitations to people, invite them along. If you have a musical, you're going to invite the person and have someone pick them up and sit with them so that they feel a part of the group and just communicating care. Um, But what would be some other things that you would just uh, share with us that people need to step into as we as we work with widows and widowers? Well, remind them, because a lot of times we haven't looked at this verse before, but you're in a position as as a counsel, uh, you're a pastor or your friends. Remind widows of the verse Isaiah 54, 5, your husband is your maker, the God of the universe. Mm -hmm. And the basic biblical truths that were true before, God is our provider. Well, he was our provider in our marriage, but you know what? Just because your husband's not there and maybe you don't have his income, and by the way, widows are usually much poorer than Mm -hmm. widowers. That's part of why Scripture doesn't talk about taking care of widowers. We love them, yeah. but Mary, they're likely to be more self-sufficient. Miriam, we're going to have to leave it here. I'm sorry we're out of time. Thank you so much for being on the program. We'll take a short break and be back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.